With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sharon, this is this is going to be one of our more unusual episodes, I think. Yeah, we've got a theme-oriented list of honorees today. Of course, leading off with a, a shocker of Gilbert Gottfried. Well, we have a long list, yeah, and, and the Gilbert Gottfried touches me in a very, very personal way. Uh, oh, he's an, he's another gentleman that you had the uh, opportunity to meet and and know. Yes, I got to meet him. Well, yeah, but it was beyond that. Yeah, we have so many to cover today. We might as well just go right in. And it's also the timing is is, is interesting. I obviously I've mentioned that that my wife passed away very suddenly uh, ten years ago. Yeah, I didn't even know he was ill. No, I didn't either. Uh, although he had. He had been ill for a while. Gilbert Gottfried had been ill for quite a while. Yeah, nobody knew. He kept it quiet. That's the saying. This this touches me deeply because he well his career started. Well, he started young. He first hit national some national attention. He was part of the first cast to of Saturday Night Live after the original primetime players left. Yeah, You know know what what I found interesting was that he actually started doing stand-up open mic nights. Yeah, he was very young. He was 15 years old. That's right. It kind of reminded me, like, do you remember Pips? Of course, and Sheep Said Bay. Yeah, my sister sister and her gang, when they were in high school, used to head over there on open mic nights and sing. It wasn't, you know, like karaoke or anything. They, They wrote music and they sang together and that's kind of what he was doing. Well, Pips, Pips you know. was a was a platform for many, many great, great comics. Not just Pips. open nights, but it was right. It was a stop on on the rounds for it really. You was. name them. I'm sorry, it's gone. Yeah, but uh, and you know how many opportunities in Brooklyn? You know, but uh, yeah, right along with uh, you know the other comedy stores in in New York City, Carolines and whatnot. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that um, Gilbert ever got there, um, but well, 
But he did, he did, as I was saying, he did become part of the first cast of new players after Mm -hmm. everybody left. And it was a disaster. Uh, it, it was just, it was just widely criticized and it almost killed most of it. And that was some great talent. Julie Louis Dreyfus was part of that. Right. Um, but obviously he continued on as stand up as a character actor, as a lot of voiceover. Um, and his career went forward. He became part of my circle in large part, and it touches me so greatly because when Beverly Hills Cop came out, which is now mm-hmm. 1987, Rudar and I had met December of 1986, and very quickly we fell in love. And as I was saying, it touches especially now because we're, go- we're in the 10th anniversary of Rudar's passing, so it, it hits me harder, oh, wow. including... Yeah. At this time, this is we're recording this in April of 2012. Rudora and my son Brian went to the Philippines for the first time in 20 something years. So uh-huh. it was the first time, literally, in 20 years that I was on my own, that I had to do laundry and I had to do everything that, you know, that I was I'll without her. I tell you what else kind of t- stood out at me because I know how much that you love the aristocrats that we first talked about with Bob Saget. Mm-hmm. He also was in the aristocrats. Well, that's, the we'll get to that. He, he practically, he practically inspired the movie, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I, because, I mean, you know, as hard as it was uh, to imagine Bob Saget doing it, I can so see him doing it. Okay. L- let me finish my story okay, here. Okay, Go for it. So in May of 1987, mm-hmm. Rudor and I had been dating for about six months, mm-hmm. and we went to and, and we went to a nice romantic dinner. We went out to stood by the Pacific Ocean, and that's the first time I told her I loved her. And then we went Aww. to the movie, and we're sitting in the movie, and Gilbert Gottfried has a small part in it. Sir, we're at the Beverly Hills Police Department. Are you Mr. Sidney Bernstein? Yes, lucky guess. Well, sir, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets. We have a warrant for your arrest. Tw- 25? What 25? You what? have 25 unpaid parking tickets, sir? I, I, I pay my tickets. I pay I pay all my tickets. Sir, do you own a black Mercedes-Benz license plate number CRL 507? 507? That's my wife's car. That's not my car. That's you my have 25 w- unpaid yeah, parking I mean, tickets. It's under my name, but it's my wife's car. No, no, no. Bitch! Tickets have not been paid. That means you're liable. Can you cuff Mr. Bernstein, please? Cuff me! There are people out there with chainsaws. You're cuffing me. Well, sir, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets, and it's your car, so we have to take you in. Wait a second. I've got an idea. Is there something that I have in this office that I could hand to you and that would make you kind of forget that you're holding those uh, little pink tickets there? What are you trying to say, sir? Like you'd be holding something in that hand... And this hand, you'd forget about. This hand, you'd be concentrating on. That hand, you'd go, what? What did I have there? I don't even remember. Oh, you mean like if I had um, $200 in this hand? Ouch, let go of my arm. $200. Ouch, please. I'm robbing you. That's what I'm doing. Here's one, here's two. They're real crisp. Well, now that you think yes. about Mr. Burns. Yes. He plays a corrupt lawyer that... Yep. Uh, Eddie Murphy needs to get into his computer. So Murphy and the two regular cops barge in. 
and Gilbert Gottfried is, like I said, the corrupt lawyer, and it's all about pretend parking tickets that that on his Mercedes, and Gottfried wants it to go away. So it's like, so if I had something in my hand that would have find its way to your hands that you liked even more, this whole thing could go away. And Rodora, not who, bad, Mark. That's not well. Bad. She turns to me in the middle of the movie. Says, "Oh my God, you're Bernstein." Gilbert Godfrey's character was named Bernstein. Sydney, that's you. And her favorite nickname for me for the rest of our lives was Bernstein. <laughs> but it got worse because for me, over the years, and I was in a lot of a lot of face-to-face sales and whatnot. And I would meet people. And there was a period of time. It felt like every week for two years, I would meet these people, these strangers. And the, one would turn to the other and say, oh my God, doesn't he sound like, and they, they often couldn't remember Gilbert Gottfried's name, that guy from that commercial or the guy from That's Aladdin like- or, you know, but doesn't he look like him? No, and you I was don't like, look like happening. Gilbert Gottfried. Huh? You don't look like Gilbert Gottfried. It's not a compliment to either of us, but it was happening <laughs> all the time. Uh, so it was just funny that, and then I got to meet Gilbert and spend a little time with him. He was on my show a couple of times, and I've seen him for a num- number of times. Uh, and he's a very nice man. He was very, mm-hmm. you know... I've mentioned, as a matter of fact, I've probably used him as an example. Um, Gilbert Gottfried's stand up routine is very, very outrageous, even more, puts his envelope more than Bob Saget. I'm sure. Um, But once he's off stage, he's a very, he was much quieter when the light's not on, uh, as opposed to, say, and I've compared Bobby Slayton. Bobby Slayton is Bobby Slayton all the time. and, and oh, it's just I, I remember I remember seeing him on Celebrity Wife Swap. Which one? Um Godfrey? Godfrey, yeah. He okay. was on Celebrity Wife Swap. It was very strange. And, well, he had you know, a very then, good marriage. Yeah, and then it says he was on the Cosby show, but I don't really remember the episode that he might have been in. Oh, and I, he was I also don't... on Celebrity Apprentice, which I don't remember seeing yeah. him on that. But I do remember, I do remember Celebrity Wife Swap. He, uh, he was. A... He 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 appeared constantly. He was also a frequent member of panel on the various roasts. Uh, yes. As a matter matter of fact, that's where he started. Where where he started getting trouble, or got. Very famous. He, he said his, something there, didn't he? Isn't that why he got fired from Aflac? He had said something. Well, Aflac after the after the tsunamis in Japan, which was probably 2011, 2012, he made some pretty, you know, pretty out there insurance based jokes that Aflac being an insurance company wasn't fond of. But before that, you were talking about the aristocrats. Yeah. He did. He was part of the roast, and I guess it was October of 2001 in New York at the Friars Club. You have to was being roasted. And Gilbert Gottfried told a joke, and I believe it was something like, I'm sorry, I was a little late tonight. My plane had a layover 
at the Empire State Building. I have to catch a flight to California. I can't get a direct flight. They said they have to stop at the Empire State Building first. Okay. A man, a, tra a, a talent agent is sitting in his office. A family walks in, man, woman, their two kids and their little dog. Their talent agent goes, what kind of an act do you do? The father starts fucking his wife. The wife starts jerking off the son. The son starts going. This is like three weeks after the World Trade Center came down. Oh and my. it was like, too soon? I mean, the audience just turned on him. So he launched into a version. He shifted gears and launched into an off-the-cuff version of the aristocrats that went on and on and just tore the house down. I mean, it's a comics. He, he's known as a com comedian's comic. A comics comic. Right. And he's telling, and, and the aristocrats is like a comic joke. It's not all that funny a joke, really. It's it's the aristocrat. The joke the aristocrats is to comedy what jazz is to music. So, you know, you get to freelance. And mm -hmm. so the nuance and stuff you add to it. And he was just piling it on after bombing as badly as anyone could bomb. And I'm pretty sure it was him telling that joke at that time in that context that inspired Penn Jillette and I, I'm forgetting the other comics name, the other, the other guys who were behind the scenes. Um, no, 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 no. Had nothing to do with that. It was another who, who created the movie, the aristocrats It was Penn Jillette and oh. another, another comic. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I've never seen it specifically cited, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to learn that it was Godfrey telling that joke in that moment that inspired them to look into turning it into a documentary where they ultimately interviewed all these other comedians on their relationship to the joke. So, yeah, Gottfried was... Gottfried and, and Bob Saget were probably the two most cited... Uh, comedians in the movie, but everybody was in that movie. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. from the Sid Caesar, Henny Youngman types all the way right. through. Jack. But I could definitely see Sid Caesar doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me ask you: Have you ever heard? So I was reading a little bit about the illness that he had. Uh, so I did a little a little mm -hmm. investigating. Um, had you ever heard of it before? Well, it's called, a form of muscular dystrophy. That's what I'm thinking. It's called myotonic dystrophy type 2. Yeah, I mean, and, um, it, <coughs> the, the, specific, the specific classification, I know says, it's in the muscular dystrophy class. Yeah, it says one of the two types of my, myotonic dystrophy, inherited muscular dystrophy, that affects the muscles and other body systems. It is characterized by prolonged muscle tensing myotonia, as well as muscle weakness, pain, and stiffness, heart, eyes, and pancreas. Um, that's no joke. No, no. That's no joke. I don't know how he hid that and kept that as private as he did. Hmm. 
I, I but he did. Oh, Paul Provenza was the uh, was the uh, the other producer of, of oh, no. uh, the Aristocrats. Um, just just didn't want to forget that name. But um, you know, a lot of people have conditions that they dealt with and that they either come forward about and address or they just they don't want to be defined by it and they they, right. they overcome it. Um, and he worked his craft and and he, he sure did. Even yeah, he, even at his memorial service the other day, the rabbi was getting in on the act. The rabbi said something about, ah, here we are on weekend of Passover and Easter and another Jew is being taken from us. Along those lines. All <laughs> but, right. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, he had uh, many appearances um, on David Letterman and uh, and Howard Stern. Um Definitely seems like his type of his crowd, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was on a PBS series called Cyber Chase that I've heard of but never saw. And that he was on something called The Bird with Jeff Ross, which I never heard of. Do you know what that show is? That uh, couldn't have been that good. Oh, Jeff, Jeff Ross is another. He, he's another stand up. And frankly, the only the only time I'd ever seen Jeff Ross, the first time I seen Jeff Ross was he was the 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 roast master when Comedy Central took over wow. the roasts. OK, um, I, I wasn't really that familiar with him before I started seeing him there. So he also, kind of you know, as we're doing a podcast on him, he had a podcast called Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Oh, was terrific. Was, he had he had Bob Costas on the floor. I was listening to it on Sunday, as a matter of fact, before Godfrey died. And it was an episode from 2015 that they were re-airing as baseball season started. And he not only had Costas on the floor, he had Costas all but declaring that he was destroying his own image because Costas mm-hmm. was telling aristocrat type jokes with Bob with, with Godfrey. Which is not what you think of from Bob Costas. Yeah, it uh, said he uh, he he did interviews with Gilbert and Frank Santa Padre, and Hollywood icons and legends, uh, which continues to be downloaded by millions of people a month. So in I, essence, in essence, Gilbert will always be around to make us laugh because you can just. You know, go download his podcast. I've listened to about a half a dozen episodes because they show up on, on some of the stuff I listen to in the car. I actually haven't downloaded, mm-hmm. me, although I, I will be downloading several. I'll be got, taking a long trip soon. Uh, uh-huh. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and his co-host seems to carry the ball a lot more. Uh, but also when Gilbert does participate, in a way, it's not as it's not the Gilbert stand-up comic as much. It's, okay, it's the Gilbert 
offstage persona. He's actually a pretty good interviewer. But I like Gilbert Gottfried, the comic. I don't want to see Gilbert Gottfried, the interviewer. As much. Uh, but he has done some he's done yeah. some very good interviews. He, he was. Yeah, they did on The View. Um, right after I told you so on Thursday's episode on The View, they they uh, they showed some parts of visits that he was there. And, you know, it's it's hard to uh, to make Barbara Walters crack up. <laughs> but uh, he, he did make her <laughs> laugh. It, it's funny though that his that his other major side claim to fame is, is all the Disney stuff he did. Uh, oh and, yeah, and that- Iago, Iago, my favorite. Uh, I mean, it's real. I mean, if it weren't, if it weren't for Robin Williams, he probably would have stole the movie, because you just can't outdo Robin Williams, but. But that bird, I mean, I was dating this guy, Joe, at the time. And, you know, it, he was he was going, rah, all night. I'm like, Joe, stop. <laughs> so. I can't believe it. I just don't believe it. We're never going to get a hold of that stupid lamp. Just forget it. Look at this. Look at this. I'm so ticked off that I'm molting. Patience, Iago. Patience. Gazim was obviously less than worthy. Oh, there's a big surprise. That's an incredible... I think I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. What are we going to do? We got a big problem here. A big... Yeah. And I'm at my wit's end. Ah, wit's end. Oh. <laughs> you, you know, that's right, though. I, I, had, I hadn't actually thought about that. What it must... And I don't know how much they interacted, but you're right. That's two, in a way, two very loose cannons. Yes. And, and I hadn't considered the, the putting them together like that. Uh, pretty gutsy of Disney, actually, if you think about it. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Gilbert Gottfried. I was very sad to hear of his loss. It was a very, as a matter of fact, he had just posted a picture a couple of months ago of him with Bob Saget and Louis Anderson. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and, and, oh, oh, and actually, actually, <laughs> on his deathbed, the night he died, he was basically saying, I should get at least half the coverage that Saget got for his. For oh my the gosh! How there was like a week of coverage it? for Saget. They should be talking about me for at least three days because he didn't oh. think he was in the same tier of fame as Bob Saget. He's probably right. But, yeah, but that's I don't all, know. But no, well, I mean, not as far as like being a stand-up comedian, but just because of the. Uh, of the full house and yeah. uh, you know uh, just coming into people's living rooms every yeah. day you know then they did the the remake you know and uh you know he was ever present in our homes whereas uh, he was not and then you had America's uh, funniest home videos and all that so you're probably right, right. yeah probably and right. uh you know I was so upset when he got fired from Affleck though because Affleck has tried to you know, make commercials as they just can't. They just can't beat that. No, 
their commercials are, are decent enough, but they're not. No, when he when he would just go Affleck. What did you say I was? Affleck. And he actually made him do it when he would on one of the clips that they showed at the View. They said, uh-huh. "Say it, say it," and he did. It was just hysterical. So it's 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 interesting. We move, we, we seem to have these themes um, as we move to Mimi Reinhardt, who was yeah, um, a, a Schindler's hit. secretary. In, yeah, that one Schindler's hit me. List. I mean, basically. Um, so I I will say Steven Spielberg um, is probably aside from Alfred Hitchcock, my very favorite director. Um, and and he was able to pretty much bring her, her story to the film named pretty much after what she did, which was Schindler's List. Um, she was actually born Carmen Coppell in Vienna, Australia. She moved to Krakow, Poland before the outbreak of World War II. And after Germany invaded Poland in 1939, she was confined to a Krakow ghetto. Before being sent to Plazow, which was a concentration camp in 1942. Her knowledge of shorthand got her work in the camp's administration office. So two years later, she was ordered to type up the handwritten list of Jews that were transferred to Schindler's ammunition factory. So what he did was um, he took, and the way that he saved Jews was, he was a German business, his name, he was, for people who don't know, he was a German businessman. His name was Oscar Schindler. And um, after he bribed Nazi authorities to let him keep them as workers in his factory, that's sort of how the list was made and how he started uh, getting these Jewish people, you know, out of the, you know, like how he saved their lives. He claimed, he claimed uh, that they were essential workers for his factory and he focused on, on Jewish workers and that kept them alive. Right. So he actually saw her husband shot to death trying to escape from the Nazis. So, so Mimi Reinhardt, by the way, she was 107 years old. And, you know, as as we've talked about this before, as certain people of age that came from from that era are passing away, um, I think it's important that we continue doing these stories because it's part of making sure that that era is not forgotten. Um, well, the, she, the, the, the movie, it's funny, funny. This also actually touched me. It touched many people very deeply, but mm-hmm. this came at a time. This the movie came out. My, I guess it had to be ninety four, because my son had open heart surgery in ninety four, and the day right around the same exact time, my he went in for a preliminary procedure on a Monday. My mother died that afternoon. Goodness gracious, Mark. right? And then he had a major open heart surgery. It was in the hospital for a week. And then we saw the movie about three weeks after that. And Rudor and I are, are, are watching the movie in San Francisco. And like I said, it's right after my mother died. It's right after my son had recovering from open heart surgery. And my emotions must have been just right on the edge. Oh, my gosh, I'm sure. I just she did. I just started. I just started crying in the middle of the movie. I was 
uncontrollable. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Haven't, I haven't cried like that. I didn't cry like that. I haven't cried like that since. Well, I mean, the part that, you know, one of the, the scenes that I can still see in my mind's eye is when the Nazis were hitting the, the camp and the kids, this one kid was running and trying to figure out a place to hide and, and went over to like where the toilets were and tried to jump in there. And there were already kids like already piled in there. They're like, get lost. We're already in here. So he had to go find someplace else to, to hide. And it turned out they found those kids in that, in that little ditch and he escaped. But what I found also interesting was that um, she did not realize how important that list was until 2008 during World Holocaust Remembrance Day um, in a center where they had um, discussed it. She was, she just was like, oh, you know, she, she, she just did what she was supposed to do. Um, and, and, and Spielberg stayed pretty true because as I was reading it, um, you know, she first got the list. Uh, who she first, it said, first she got the list of those who were with Schindler already in Krakow in his factory. And later, you know, after she, she saved three spaces at the end of the list to put her name and two friends. And I remember that at the end of the, near the end of the movie, she did do that. There were three spaces left and she, she put her name very, the last name was there. So um, it, she said it's that. It's remarkable that. Yeah. That, that she said. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, in the movie, it seemed like she had more contact with him. It, it said here that she had said that although she worked in Schindler's office toward the end of the war, she had very little personal contact with him. So I think they fudged that a little in the movie. Oh, um, they said between 12 and 1300 people. Yeah, um, she said he was a very charming man, outgoing, she recalls, and uh, and decades after the war the thing she remembered most was he didn't treat them like scum. Mm. That's, um. that's, that's heavy stuff. Um, after the war, she lived in the U.S. until 2007. And at 92, she immigrated to Israel. And then because of the film, she became kind of a celebrity in Israel. So I think mm. that's sort of cool. And uh, so I'd like to thank her and I'd like to thank Mr. Spielberg for bringing attention to uh, her what she what her bravery was, and and what Schindler did, and bring that um, and bring that into general consciousness. Yes. Um, yes. In that regard, Spielberg is 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 a national treasure. Um, absolutely. And and he took. His fame from from inventing, you know, the tentpole movies with Jaws and and things e. like e. that, e. to e. to tell stories like Schindler's List. And yeah, honestly, you had to have a certain amount of gravitas and reputation to get that movie made. Not anybody could have made it. Not anybody could have done it as well. I agree. Fo- so, following our theme, we go to Nehemiah Persoff, a, a kid yeah, at uh, too. 102, born in 1919. In Jerusalem. Think about that. Born in 1919 in Jerusalem. In Palestine, actually. It's Palestine at that time. Right. Oh, okay. Um, 
he, it says he emigrated uh, with his family to America in 1929. And he found a job as a subway electrician, which kind of hit home because my dad was a, a subway electrician until he met my mom. So uh, he would not, if it weren't for my mom, he would not have become a teacher. Uh, he was doing signal maintenance until an interest in the theater altered the direction of his life and made his official New York debut in a production of The Empire's New Clothes in 1940. Um, there was another play that I read about that he was supposed to be in, but then it got canceled. So that ended up being his first real, um, that ended up being his debut. He also was in the army in World War II. Yeah, before he began acting. Um, and he was discovered by Charles Lawton and cast in his production of Galileo in 1947. Um, well, actually, he, he, was, his... he was already acting in the army. That's what, well, that's what inspired Right. Us. And then it says he, he made an uncredited, he did, he, did, he did a film debut a year later with an uncredited bit in The Naked City. Well, about that? He, he was the part of the early actor's studio classes with Delia Kazan, yeah. you know, classmates like Martin Balsam and Cloris Leachman. So he had some chops. And if you look at some of the For people sure. he worked with, Humphrey Bogart, Rod Steiger. Right. Uh, and, and like, yeah. I guess because he is one of those types of faces, he portrayed everything from cab drivers to Joseph Stalin. He had standout film roles, which included Leo and The Harder They Fall. Like you said, he worked with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, Gene Cunn, 40, and Alfred Hitchcock's The Wrong Man. He was Albert in The Seawall, and he was a gangster. Um, and Johnny Torino in Al Capone. That's, that's, wow. That's, he um, was also in Gilligan's Island. And <laughs> one of your shows, he was on Star Trek, The Next Generation. Yeah, and he was also another one of my favorites. He was in The Twilight Zone. Um, he also did Gunsmoke, and uh, he did Bahan. He did um, he did he and he, he did um, Chicago Hope, Law and Order, and then uh, and then what what got me was because I'm a big Barbara Streisand uh, fan. I went to see Yentl, and there he was. Uh, he's playing her father. That's was, probably and, the and most then, high profile role he had, and the only role that he had where he was really. Where it's really a main character, I think, but I'm not sure. Well, I mean, and then we were talking about Disney before. He played the voice of Papa Mouskowitz. I didn't know that in an American tale. I love that movie. I never saw uh, it. He, he, yeah, you never saw that? No. You should yeah. rent it or DVR it, you know, or uh, I'm sure you can get it online or something. Um, he did stage work. Uh, which included on that Rappaport. And he has a, he had a biographical one-man show, which I didn't know about, called Shalom Alechem. He was also on Magnum P.I., The Facts of Life. Um, I never heard of this show. It's called J.J. Starbuck. And I another one of my favorite shows. You know that show, J.J. Starbuck? I think it was, I vaguely remember it. I I don't remember that it had somebody good starring. I don't remember who it was, though. No, I don't remember, but I've recently begun watching MacGyver again. 
Uh, he's the new one or the original? I've never, I've never really so been a fan the of original, it. The original, I found it. It's on channel, it's on WOR, which is channel nine over here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and then what I found really interesting when he retired from acting, he took up painting and specialized in watercolors, which, you know, I dabble in painting, but I hate watercolor because it's very, very hard to control. So he must have been really very good. And it says he created more than a hundred works of art, many of which have been in exhibit up and down the coast of California. So you might be able to, uh, to find some of his work out there, Mark. Um, says he celebrated his hundredth birthday in 2019. What I thought was cool about that is he released his memoir when he was 101. Yeah. You know, he what what made him wait around to write his memoir and wait, you know, I, I, I think that's remarkable. He got his, bored. <laughs> he got bored and figured hey, he might as well. But uh, I think that's very cool. Uh, very much so. Yeah. And he's just a guy who worked. Just a guy who worked. Yeah, yeah. There are a variety of things. Here's another guy who worked. Jimmy Wang Yu. Yeah, 79 years old. And um, Had you heard of him not, before, before this? I honestly I have, I had not. But what caught my eye was... Um... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was reading about it. Um, you know, it said he was one of the early greats of martial art films. So, when you know, being an American, you know, I automatically think of the beginning Jackie Chan. But he actually came before Jackie Chan or... It might have been the same time. Says he starred in there in um, a 1967 classic called One Art Swordsman, which became highly influential on later martial arts films. He did a 1970 movie called The Chinese Boxer, which is considered by some to be the first great kung fu film focused on an unarmed martial arts combat. Um, it says he became a legend of martial arts and went on to star in many other classic martial arts films, uh, Beach of the War Gods and Master of the Flying Guillotine, 
Um, his career was at its height in 1960s through the 1960s and 70s. I think that's Bruce Lee territory right in there, the 60s and 70s. And he made his first appearance uh, in the 2013 Taiwanese horror film Soul. Um, so, you know, he's not that, you know, that household name that Bruce Lee is, but he certainly should be up there with, uh, with Mr. Lee. I think he's more of a household name in Japan or, or in the Asian countries, but is also as almost as famous for some of his scandals. He had his share of um, adult relationships, let's say, that were ne- necessarily uh-huh. sanctioned and certainly some disputes with the studios through the years. So he was probably as infamous as he was famous. But, about that? But he is credited with creating a lot of the techniques um, that others followed and popularizing the format of the film. Uh, so now we move on to three football players. Yeah. Gary Brown, Rayfield White, and Wright, and Dwayne Haskins. And, 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 and it's, it's almost interesting how they represent like three different segments. We have a a 24-year-old, a 76-year-old, and like a 52-year-old. Correct. Um, so, you know, so it's always sad when somebody so young passes away. Uh, let's start with, 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 with Haskins for the moment. You know, and... and I think there's a lot more that's going to come out about him. He he, he got hit by a truck crossing, crossing a freeway. You know what? And my first thought, you know, you don't want to speak ill of the dead, but what the hell are you thinking about crossing a highway? Yeah. Um, and again, as I'm watching the news feed, uh, I, I was actually seeing it in background on mute because I was doing something else and I was with a group of people and it was playing in an endless loop. And I have to say, it made it sound like this guy was a superstar. And then I go back and I do the research and he was a guy who was drafted high, who, who had a mediocre record. Correct. Lost his, his one shot at a starting job. He really failed. And, and, and and yeah, the thing is, is that he was a Heisman. He, he was like a, he a was finalist. A, he was a he finished third. He finished third. He um, let's see. He was um, you know, he went to he went to Ohio State where he set an OSU and Big Ten conference record as a redshirt sophomore in 2018, single season passing yards of 4,831 touchdown passes 50 and total offensive yards 4939 he led the buckeyes to a 13 and 1 record and a win in the rose bowl and he finished third in voting for the heisman trophy award to college's football's most outstanding player um he was drafted 15th overall pick in the 2019 nfl draft 
and was released in December 2020 toward the end of his second season after he was benched in a loss after he was fined an undisclosed amount for, vital, for violating team COVID-19 protocols by going maskless. At I think he did that twice. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he violated a couple of times while it was really bad. And, and, and when I, again, as I was seeing these things in the background, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback dies. And I knew the Steelers, I knew Roethlisberger had, had, had retired. I don't follow football that close, but I knew the Steelers quarterback mm-hmm. retired. I knew it was open, the starting position. I assumed that this was the guy who was acquired to be their new starter. Actually, he's like, he may no. be, he may have become that third string quarterback. Yeah, that's what it says. He, uh, after a month after his release, the Steelers picked him up, and uh, he was the third string quarterback behind the now retired uh, Ben. How do you say his name? And then the backup to Mason Rudolph. He was able yeah. to re-sign with the Steelers for one year. Was set to compete with Rudolph and new Steelers acquisition Mitchell. Trubisky for positions on the depth chart and was trying to cross interstate 595 westbound lanes near the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. What the heck are you doing crossing like that? I don't know Florida real well, but any airport, any any highway leading to an airport, you don't want to be crossing. I just um, think I just think, yeah, you know. The and then he was glands on this young guy who dies prematurely. And, and then and then he was hit by a dump truck of all things. Yeah. Very uh, tragic. It is sad. It is sad. And 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 like I said, I, I'm not sure. I just can't. There's just some nuance to the fact that that the story has been blown up so much. I think it's because of his age. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, it sounds like. He started out maybe a little too famous for his own good, you know, and then he he got humbled, you know, and 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 had he not been hit by a truck, he may have had a chance to turn his life around. That's that's. um that's a hard pill to swallow. Now, maybe, you know, our next guy, Raymond Wright, Rayfield Wright, he actually did end up being a significant player after being a backup player for many, many years. So maybe, you know, maybe it's not that hard to envision. You know, he, he played several he actually, years with tight end, offensive lineman, defensive. He was defensive. actually... Yeah, yeah, you know, he was a he was a two sports star in college. Yes. So he, he seems more likely to be um I don't want to say more talented, but more athletic. I mean, there's some they always talk about like for the Yankees, they always talked about getting players who are more athletic. Mm-hmm. So um it sounds like he played he a 13. few years before I think he got his first starting role says he had 13 year playing career and he was originally a two star uh star in college with both football and basketball won two of five super bowls he played in, and then yeah and initially intended to play basketball 
professionally, but the Cowboys front office led by Gil Brandt and Tom Landry opted to select him in the seventh round of that year's draft. So initially he played tight end with some defensive line snaps mixed in. I think you understand that kind of lingo more than I would. And then said he eventually moved to offensive tackle ahead of his third season and remained there. Uh, Wright was the first offensive lineman inducted into both the Ring of Honor and the Pro Hall of Football, uh, cementing his uh, his his uh, thing. You know what what is the Ring of Fire, Mark? I am not sure what the Ring of Fire is. I know what the Pro I Football Hall know what the Hall of, Fame, of is. Fame is. Yeah, but uh, I thought I would ask you what the Ring of Honor was. Oh, he also coached with the Arena Football League. There was a team out here that was very popular, but they closed down a few years ago. Arena mm-hmm. Football is, is fun. That's fun. He worked with he worked with inner city youth. He went on to 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 see now. <laughs> he he suffered from early onset dementia, which is, you know, it's more and more. And they attribute that to the hits he took during his career. I think yeah, more and more that's going to be looked at. Uh, so many players have, there have been players who've committed suicide. There are players who have donated their brains to science, insisting that it be researched. Um, and they're finding more and more uh, damage of that sort. I don't know how you get, how you, how you address that. Uh, Better helmets. This, huh? Better helmets, better designed helmets, where maybe there's more of a cushion on the inside, where your head isn't rattling around in there as, you know, as they go to hit the floor. I don't know. Certainly, they're taking the concussion protocols more seriously in all sports. Yeah. You know, not just shaking it off. So maybe, maybe that will lead to an improvement. And you had, you had Gary Brown, who died at 52. 5253 yeah he had cancer um and from what i read he had all kinds of issues with his kidney and um, but uh, he he had rushed it said he rushed for 100 for 1321 yards during his college career at penn state and penn state is a big football school so um that's that's notable uh, he was eighth round draft choice of the Houston Oilers in 1991. So, uh, you know, any time that you're picked a top 10 uh, in the first round, that's certainly notable. Uh, he played for, uh, he played by your end of the, the world. He played for the San Diego Chargers. And then he came my way and he played for the New York Giants. And uh, throughout hey, his career. Yeah, throughout his career. He played his last two years with the Giants, it said. Uh, ending with 4,300 rushing yards, 631 receiving yards, and 24 total touchdowns. Spent seven seasons as the Dallas Cowboys running back coach. And in college, most recently served as the running back coach at Wisconsin during the 2021 season. So he he was more active than our, our previous. Well, he went back and forth between college and pro coaching for many mm-hmm. years. But yeah. Um, he was with the Cowboys from 2013 to 2019 
And uh, well, this was as a coach and had three different running backs reach a thousand yards, including DeMarco Murray, Darren McFadden, and Esguio Elliott. So um, this was all attributed to his tutelage. They all, um, 2016 through 2018, won NFL rushing titles under his coaching. That's that's pretty astute. Cowboy owners. Jerry Jones said in a statement, he lit up every room he walked into and touched the lives of those who knew him in such a positive way. So there are people that, you know, when you're in a room of people and, and somebody, somebody walks in, you don't even know who they are. And they're just a, they're just like a magnet, you know, and there's just something about them that, that draws you to them. And it sounds like he was that kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. Move on to somebody who who had who, who definitely famous within his circle. I don't think he had the name recognition among the general population that 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 his role entitled him to. A man named Eric Bowler. Had you heard of Eric Bowler before this? I had. I had not. But he's a man who seemed to have a golden touch when it came to media. Mm-hmm. Uh, started writing about music. And went from writing, you know, just regular music type stuff to tripping on a couple of stories where he focused on the business side of the industry and leapfrogged from that to become one of the most well-respected media critics. In other words, not criticize, you know, critic who doesn't know, who reviewed how the media covered stories in right. its various that's, and also took advantage of all the various yeah, platforms. Yeah, that's 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 pretty important these days. And you know, even just going between you know Fox News and and um, you know, which is totally to the right, and CNN, which is now totally to the left. I used to like CNN before they kind of went all the way over. So now I don't watch either of those stations. Um, but uh, it says he was. Um, Struck. See, this is this is kind of odd. He was struck by a New Jersey transit train while riding his bicycle near the Watchog Avenue station in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, he was a commentator on television and radio, and as well as you started to uh, point out, a prolific writer. Um, searing, he never shied away from searing critiques of what he saw as bias in the mainstream press. So. He was going to tell it like it was, like he didn't care what you thought. He was just going to tell you how he saw it. So if he felt the coverage, no matter what it was, he he also covered Billboard and Rolling Stone. Did you know that? Yes, yes, I did. It, um, that was interesting. You mentioned that, that how he died as an experienced bike rider. I mean, he, he, it was one of his primary right. forms of transportation. And I, I, I was relying on my bike for a few years. I don't know how you, I'm sorry, I don't know how you get hit by a train. I just don't. I mean, unless, unless, unless that, you know, when you cross the tracks, there's supposed to be a light, you know, the, the, the you know, the signals are supposed to come. Maybe something happened where, where they didn't work. I can't there's imagine. There's still a train. You, yeah. You know, it's hard to miss a train. It's true. It's true. Um, he also became a staff writer at Salon, 
which is not something I ever heard of. Oh, yeah, one of the first, first major online publications. Okay. He joined Media Matters. He was the author of two nonfiction books called Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. And that's another president we'll talk about one day. And Junior, not Senior, um, published, uh, let's see, he, let's see, he, he, he wrote, he published, and then another book, Bloggers on the Bus, How the mm -hmm. Internet Changed Politics. There's nothing more true than that statement that social media has changed politics. Because given, given Facebook and, and um, what are the other ones? The, the, the Twitter, I don't do Twitter. Well, all of this, I mean, without that, I don't think Donald Trump would ever become president. Um, so he did stints as a media writer for a website called Daily Kos. He started a press run in 2020, which he just described as an unfiltered, passionate, and proudly progressive critique of the political press in the age of Trump. Lots of P's in that sentence. <laughs> you know, I, I almost feel like Peter Piper picked, right? Uh, it says his last article on um, on Press Run published the day he died. He questions journalist coverage of the Biden administration, saying the news media was playing down the president's achievements. And um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, well, they're blaming him. They're blaming him for stuff that totally isn't his fault. That's so, always been the case. Um, Democrats and the Republicans handled things differently. So when Al Franken was accused of inappropriate hugging uh, an assistant or, you know. Uh, yeah, there are Republicans. He resigned. Yeah, he well, resigned. He, yeah. Republicans are accused and of he pedophilia was, and they serve. Yeah, and, and he, was, he was pretty good at his job. Um, they describe him as a fierce defender of democracy, social justice, and truth in the media. Now I'm picturing Superman, right? Mm. That you remember the old, the old, yeah. uh, uh, you know, with him with his cape on, fighting for truth, justice, in the American way. And certainly, um, when it comes to how 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 Biden is covered, well, because we have a higher level of expectation of skill and professionalism from Biden, we mm -hmm, hold him to a mm -hmm. different standard. Then we yeah. held the Joker to, and uh, because we didn't expect anything from him, we didn't expect competence from him, so we got what we expected. We Says he was fearless. He was fearless and brilliant in his investigation and hypocrisies and double standards in the media, and his contribution was priceless. I sort of wish I knew about him while he was still alive and writing. Um, mm -hmm. Not sure. I'm not, and you know, well, he's in Jersey, so. We get Jersey stuff here. I mean, Staten Island is, I always thought Staten Island should be a New Jersey, part of New Jersey rather than yeah, so New York. That's, that's just my opinion. So did we. Um, then there's there's another writer. Do you have anything else to add on to no. him? No, no, no. So there's another writer here. He's another writer that as a former um teacher, a primary school teacher, I, I taught mostly the lower grades. Uh, here's another gentleman I wish I would have known about. Uh, his name is David McGee, uh, 87. 
He's a children's author and illustrator uh, known for the Mr. Ben series, sold more than 10,000 books around the world, classic books that have become part of the, the canon or canon of children's literature. So um, I wish I would have known. And, uh, you know, if I, if I get back to, um, to tutoring uh, the youngsters, I may go investigate him. Uh, he had, um, let me see, he... He seemed mostly, mostly in, 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 in England, though. It seemed like that's where he had... Yeah, he was family. British. Yeah, his debut book, Toucan, Toucan, was published in 1964. I mean, but, you know, it seemed like as I was reading... Uh, not quite Dr. Seuss, but uh, that's but who, who, very, who came to mind very, for me as well. Very famous characters. Mr. Ben was known for his fashionable adventures. The character equipped with his signature black suit and bowler hat would visit a clothing store in each adventure, picking out a different ensemble before traveling through a magic door on a journey related to said outfit. So he was actually teaching fashion through his books. I think that's, I think that's amazing. I, I think that's pretty cute. I, there's also animated television series that were transmitted by the BBC in the early 1970s. He had Imer the Patchwork Elephant, who was made into a TV series, as well as a stage play. And he did, uh, he wrote and illustrated 29 original Elmer books collectively been translated into more than 60 languages. That's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's that's definitely worldwide. Um, and he illustrated books written by other authors, such as Paddington Bear books. We know we know Paddington. Uh, I always used to think he was related to uh, to Winnie the Pooh somehow. And uh, and Forrest Wilson's Super Graham, which that one I don't know. But um, but you know, two two writers um, that definitely should have been more more household names than that they were. Um, the interesting thing that I that I had mentioned about Eric Bowler was the way that he he passed, uh, which brings us to Ryan Allen. Yeah. Uh, Ryan yeah, Allen. Yeah, he was uh, a police officer. And Pennsylvania, and he actually died from a bee sting. So you have heard where, you know, if you get stung, if you have a very bad allergy, you can die from this. But, but this whole thing, do you have some information on him? Just that you, you, he was stung by the like bee, this? went into shock. Well, his brain was deprived of oxygen for apparently 20 minutes. Uh, he had a cardiac arrest. They thought they thought there was a chance of recovery, of some degree of recovery. But as the as the swelling in the brain subsided, they realized it was hopeless. And his wife pretty made a very difficult decision. That's that's pretty much in a nutshell. Um, but I mean, there's he a young father with two children. Mm -hmm. Just got stung by a bee at home. And I don't so, think you know, he I, ever had a moment of consciousness after that. No, he didn't. Um, but, you know, I, because that he, he did serve the Pennsylvania community, um, I would like to thank him for his service to his community. 
and I'm very sorry that that's a, you know, I'm, I, I hate to say it, but it's a stunner. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know? again, yeah. You have somebody like he, 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 he's like the prototypical person you aspire to is a cop with two kids and a wife and, you know, just mm-hmm. living the life. Yeah. You know? Picket fence, you know, the whole thing out playing with his kids and uh, puts his life in danger every day. And then he dies at home from a bee sting. And you can't, you just, you just can't take it for granted. You just can't no, take you, it for granted. You just, you just can't. Human beings need to learn how to be, you know, kind to each other. You know, it's kind of like our outgoing mantra, you know, you just, you just don't know day to day what's, what's going to happen. So we have, we have two singers to wrap up. Right? So Chris, oh no, Chris Bailey was 65. Right. And Mooney was 66. That's what it is. They were in a group called the Saints. And, um, and Chris Bailey, uh, he was, uh, was known as the lead singer of a legendary Australian band called the Saints. Um, the Saints' popularity, they were known for songs like Just Like Firewood, Music Goes Round My Heart, Erotic, Neurotic, and Every Day's a Holiday, Even Night's a Party, Every Night's a Party. Not being a, not being a person that really likes punk stuff, real, I was not really um, informed about his music. The band was formed in 1973 in Brisbane, and it was like one of the first punk rock bands. Um, like even before the Sex Pistols, they came out around that time as well. Um, they also made history for being, yeah, it says they made the, they made history for being the first punk rock group outside the United States to release a, rec- a record with their debut single, I'm Stranded. The band has been around for five decades, making them one of the most iconic bands in in Australia. And they were inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2001. Um, They say uh, their initial sound was informed by punk and sat along 70s peers such as the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. But he, he wasn't like really, he didn't like the tag. But uh, so by the 80s, he began ingratiating post-punk. So they played a lot of colleges, college rock, blues, pop punk into the group song. And the funny thing was, once punk exploded in the UK, it was on all the front pages and suddenly it became controversial. But they were running free and easy and doing what they wanted to do. Um partner uh was uh jordan mooney now the thing is these two bandmates died three days apart that's i don't think they lived near each other 
um, you know, they're like our peers, right? 64, mm -hmm. 66, 65. Um, she actually was better. So her name, her, her born name was Pamela Rook. But they, in music, she was better known as Jordan. She had a beehive. Val she was beehived Valkyrie in rubber and spiked heels and became an avatar of punk style when she presided over the transgressive London boutique that hatched the Sex Pistols and other provocations. Um, she was 19 in 1974 and was working at a shop uh, called Harrods. I can say I've been to that store. What an amazing store. It outdid Macy's by a lot. Um, mm. So when I was, yeah, I mean, you know, the grant, the major Macy's in, in the city. Um, when Lori and I went, when my sister and I went to England, um, other than the Beatles, the one thing I wanted to do was go to Harrods. So um, we, we kind of met the Beatles, but they were uh, in wax and they didn't really look like the Beatles. Um, <laughs> So uh, in 74, she was a shop girl. I guess that's what we call a sales girl here in the States. And she was uh, already a presence when she walked into the store sex at 430 Kings Road with a peroxide bouffant, green makeup, and a built and belted Macintosh. With its puffy pink vinyl sign out front, sedentary manifestos, and rubber and leather fetish wear, and t-shirts emblazoned with fragments of text from S&M novels, among other slogans. The store was also something not seen before. Um, I don't want to just read this. So let's see. She also should drop out at art school. And she was a music impressionist. Can I say this word? Impresiaro? Yes. And his girlfriend. Uh, she she made Miss Westwood, who made the clothes to her own skewed, widely original and sometimes problematic vision. They might include swastikers or photographs from pornographic journals. The couple would later be known as the godparents of punk. What what she I found it what I found most interesting about her, yeah, is I mean, she started as a manager for Adam and the Ants. She, did you, yeah, did you see a picture of her? She saw, yes, yes. she recorded a well known track about Lou Reed. with and around some of the greatest artists in punk. And in 1984, after divorcing one of the band members from Adam Mann, she went on to become yep. a veterinary a veterinary nurse. Uh, yeah, that's right. So for the next almost 40 years, she worked as a veterinary nurse after that whole punk, wild hair, wild music. Yep, yep. And became a veterinary nurse. I just thought that was 
such an interesting dichotomy. Although I wonder what she wrote about in her book. She she did write her autobiography in 2019. Yeah. Um, she died of she, cancer, so she might have known that she was. Right. When she wrote she her wrote autobiography, me. she might have known she was dying. She yeah, didn't. she saw herself as a walking art project and was liberated like her punk sisters by the idea women could be threatening punk, archaic, unisex with the great equalizer um, kevin nooney who was for a short time the basis for the ants yeah she was married to him it wasn't a happy marriage um did did you know that um since you mentioned adam he he was uh he was a heroin addict so that i guess was not a happy time for her um he yeah. sold her clothes at one point and once hurled kittens against the wall and uh, escaped, she escaped after two years. She detoxed on her own at her parents' house in Seaford, telling them she had the flu. That's a good one. Uh, she, rem she remained in her hometown and reinvented herself. And that's when she became the veterinary that you spoke about, the veterinary nurse. She gave herself a new name, Jordan for Jordan Baker. The Chili Great Gatsby character she pulled out of that book. Have you ever read The Great Gatsby, Mark? I have not. Um, it's a very famous book. Of course. It's also it's also a pretty good movie. I think they've done a couple of them. Yeah. Haven't seen those either. Let's see what else do I have here. Uh, that's about it. You have anything else to add? I do not. That brings us to um, that brings us to the end of another week of uh, Over the Rainbow. Yeah, that went pretty well, I think, being that we had so many people to do. Gilbert Gottfried is is going to be missed for sure. Not going to go away though. <laughs> no, like I say, you know that was the fact that he had done the podcast, and I have Aladdin. I mean, you know. I, I DVR'd Aladdin and I watched it, but I didn't erase that one because it, sometimes when I'm, in, you know, in a mood, I, I'll turn that movie on. That movie is just fun. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you know, Robin Williams, you can't, you can't miss with that movie. He had, he had a fair number of misses. It just would have been cool if one of the commercials was an Affleck commercial. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, do we have a way of wrapping up? You know, especially some of, the, some of the guests we talked about, some of the features we talked about today, you really Absolutely. can't take for granted. This is very true, um, which is why I always like to remind everybody that you should show your love for those you care for today, for today, because they may not be here tomorrow. But we certainly hope you'll be around for our next episode of Over the Rainbow. Well, maybe they'll ask. Maybe they'll ask me to fill in for the biopic, the Gilbert Gottfried to be a loud, obnoxious <laughs> Jew. Go figure. Uh, Go figure. Well, thank you, Sharon Yankowitz. I think that was a very good program. Thank you, Mark, for allowing me to do this.